I just was thinking that I can't believe that we're just one more week away from the end of Romans. We have unpacked so much in the last two years, and over and over, I was personally reminded of how God's word is live and active and powerful and meets us right where we are. His words are timeless. They never go out of style. They never show up late. And I know that we already know that, so it's no surprise, but when so many passages seem to have been written just for today, it's so encouraging. And I'm often amazed at how often our Sunday messages intertwine and our Wednesday messages intertwine and our conversations intertwine and what we've been learning. And, and we're reminded again of this timeless and foundational truth that this letter has in it for the believers in Rome. It was written so many years ago, but it could have been written for us today because really it was. I'm so blessed to have gone through this, and really, I'm sad to leave it, but I'm so excited for what's next. But before we can look for what's next, we have to finish up what's here. So let's pray. Father God, I just, um, I thank you for this morning, Lord. I thank you that we get to be here together. I thank you, Father God, that, that you're here with us, and I just pray, Lord, that you would pour your words out on this place today. Father God, that even as my voice goes out, that's not what's heard, but that you minister to each one of us that message that you have to grow us and to change us and to mold us and to move us forward in our lives for you, Lord. Again, we give this time to you. We love you and we praise you in your mighty name. Amen. Last week, we ended with Paul explaining that it is his aim to preach the gospel in places untouched by God's word. He said he did not want to build on another's foundation. He wanted to be, as David Guzik calls him, a pioneer. He wanted to be a pioneer for the Lord. He saw his own pioneer calling as obedience to the scriptures and his personal calling from Jesus. So this week we pick up in verse 22 and Paul says, this is why I have often been hindered, prevented from coming to you. It is Paul's calling that held him back from going to see the believers in Rome. He did not want to build on an already laid foundation. He had a heart to seek and to save the lost. And not just the lost, but those completely untouched by the word of God. It was so powerful last week when Angela shared how still 2,000 years later, we have people groups completely untouched by the word of God. And it's not just in the remotest of regions. She also shared here that, in fact, in our area, we're only 2% churched. That's sobering. Paul was the ultimate ministry, uh, missionary. Another thing that I love is Paul is really living his conviction and calling to share the gospel. He's practicing what he's been preaching. And for him to go and take the easy road, he knows in his heart would be wrong. So he prevents himself from going outside of God's will for himself. And for us, we're getting to see that Paul puts his own words into action. He just doesn't tell the people what to do, but he lives by example. 
Verse 23, but now that there is no more place for me to work in these regions, and since I have been longing for many years to visit you, I plan to do so when I go to Spain. I hope to see you while passing through and that you will assist me on my journey there after I have enjoyed your company for a while. Paul has planted a lot of seed and tilled much ground so that he had exhausted so much so that he had exhausted himself of untouched places to evangelize. Can you imagine? I listened to Doug's teaching and he says that the area he exhausted is Asia Minor and what is now modern day Turkey and throughout Corinth. So we're talking about countries. He had reached countries. And now it's time for him to go and find more uncharted hearts as far as the gospel is concerned. And he is ready. He is ready to go and pioneer a new frontier, Spain. So here, Paul is letting the beloved believers know that he wants to see them. He longs to be with them. But he must follow in obedience to Jesus, in obedience to the will of God in his life, obedience to his calling, and obedience to his personal conviction. He sees an opportunity on his way to minister in Spain that he can stop and see them. And he has some errands to run and some business to take care of first, but he's looking forward to having some fellowship with them and kindness from them. A filling up and a sending out And they get to be partners and partakers in carrying the gospel to the unreached. And I love this because it's our job as believers to be sharing the gospel. That's just a fact. We live it, we share it, and we get to support it in each other. Some get to be goers and others get to be senders, but we all get to be doers in this unity, in this unity in Christ that we all get to have a part in. Verse 25 says, now, however, I am on my way to Jerusalem in the service of the Lord's people there. For Macedonia and Achaia were pleased to make a contribution for the poor among the Lord's people in Jerusalem. They were pleased to do it, and indeed they owe it to them. For the Gentiles have shared in the Jews' spiritual blessings. They owe it to the Jews to share with them their material blessings. So after I've completed this task and have made sure they have received this contribution, I will go to Spain and visit you on the way. Now, Paul is ready. He is ready to set out for new frontiers, but he's needing to take care of some church business first before he begins that mission. And he is going to Jerusalem to bring a gift collected by the churches in Macedonia and Achaia. Paul not only cares for those untouched by the gospel, but he cares about the believers and their relationships with one another and their well-being. He is not so single-focused for only preaching to those uncharted souls that he loses sight of everyone else, but it is his deep love for believers that it is so evident. Pastor Doug called Paul a bridge builder because he also cared about their churches and their relationships with one another. The churches in Asia are made up of mostly Gentile believers and have found themselves in a position to be able to fulfill a need 
and to be able to send support back to their home church in Jerusalem. As Doug said, this has come full circle as it should be, as it all began with the pouring out of the Holy Spirit in Jerusalem in Acts 2. And it is from Jerusalem men and women were sent out to share the gospel all over the world. And this, what's coming back, is the fruit of that ministry. To bless the church in Jerusalem as it has faced many hardships and persecutions. I read in a commentary, actually, I read a quote in a commentary that I followed to the sermon notes from a man named Strauss, and he said the word contribution, as used in verse 26, is actually the word koinonia, which means fellowship or partnership. And that's what he's calling this offering. It's a partnership between the believers. When we help one another as believers, it helps us to create a sense of belonging, family, fellowship, unity. And I love that Paul pointed out that they were pleased to do this. Their giving was truly an outpouring of love. In verse 29, he says, I know that when I come to you, I will come in the full measure of the blessing of Christ. I urge you, brothers and sisters, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit, to join me in my struggle by praying to God for me. I pray that I may be kept safe from the unbelievers in Judea and that the contribution I take to Jerusalem may be favorably received by the Lord's people there so that I may come to you with joy by God's will and in your company be refreshed. Paul here asks the believers to pray with him. He is specifically asking for three things, protection from his enemies, completion of his mission to deliver the offering, and that he can go to Rome for refreshment and ultimately on his way to Spain. I love that he asked for prayer. And that's just another glimpse of the unity of the body of Christ because we get to bear one another's burdens in prayer. When we're wrestling with our trials, our hurts, our fears, we don't have to do it alone. I have been so blessed this morning because I have had almost nonstop text messages from my Bible study group this morning because they know that this is what I love to do, but I get terribly nervous. And just about every time at the end, sorry, Jen, I'm like, I'm not going to do that again. I get too nervous, but I love I love the blessing of the Lord when we come and serve him in the way he calls us. One of the questions on day four is how does prayer make a difference in the real world? And I love that question, but we're not going to talk about it because I think that's such a powerful discussion question. I'm so excited for you to go through it with your groups, and I can't wait to do it with my ladies. So Tuesday night, when you're hearing this, start thinking because we're really gonna we're really gonna touch hard on this one. But it's the the second part that I want to look at. Have you undervalued the power of prayer? Me, yes. Over and over and over and over and over again. Will you continue to undervalue the power of prayer? I would like to say no, but yeah, I will. I'll forget. I'll worry about myself. I'll try to carry things on my own. Prayer 
is effective, prayer is powerful, and prayer changes everything. It's funny that I find myself on Sunday mornings teaching Sunday school because that was not a goal of mine <laughs> to teach Sunday school. I was having a conversation with my son, and uh, it was three years ago, and he was doing Doug's discipleship group, and he was looking for that place to serve in the body. I'm like, you should do children's ministry. And he's like, okay, well, you know, the Lord will tell me where to serve. <laughs> okay, well. Uh, and I still, my kids are old, 22, 25, 20. I'm still a helicopter parent. <laughs> I'll help you find where to serve. So I said it to him again. There was an announcement. They need people to serve in Sunday school. And he's like, uh-huh, <laughs> you know. Leave me alone. And then I said it again, and he whips around and he points at me. He goes, I think the Lord is weighing this on your heart. I went, oh, no, he's not. <laughs> I don't think so. And uh, he was. And I went and talked to Hayden, and I've been there for three years. And I love it because I forget the beautiful innocence of these children and how they're so teachable and moldable. And then I think back how I wish when I was six or seven, someone was teaching me these things. So two weeks ago, two weeks ago, our lesson in Sunday school was where the disciples asked Jesus to teach them to pray. And Jesus gave them the example of the Lord's Prayer. Now, I'm in a class of six- and seven-year-olds, and we got to go over the Lord's Prayer and teach the kids about prayer. And when we started to look at their faces, just understanding that they can come to God, we started with talking about the significance of the first part when Jesus tells them, Our Father who art in heaven. We come first, and we put him in perspective. We don't well, it doesn't do me any good to come to God in a box, the God I've created here, because he's not powerful. He's only what I can make him. But this is about God. This is, we're telling the kids, this is who created the grass? God. Who did this? God. And we're like, you get to come to him and pray to him. And when we put our hearts right, we get to come and we get to harness that power. It changes us. It may not change the outcome, but it changes how we're going to see it. We're not just whispering words to an empty void or rattling words around in our head out of obligation, but we get to go to the very throne of God, the God of creation. When we can understand the power and ability that we have access to God because of the work of Jesus on the cross. You know, we didn't see another person in the Bible who agonized in prayer for a different outcome. But the ultimate willingness is to live God's will. And it's in that that prayer does not change who he is, but it changes who we are. It allows us to know that he knows. And that's what makes the difference. Are Paul's prayers answered? Yes. Are they answered the way he asked? But was God's will done? Absolutely. So were Paul's prayers answered? Absolutely. We know that things did not go exactly as Paul had planned. And Paul had a pretty good idea that they were not going to go as he had planned. So he could give up. 
throw in the towel, go find a hidey hole, play it safe. The writing's on the wall. Something is coming. Doing this study, and I'm reading it, I felt like I knew a secret. (laughs) You know, I'm reading, and you're reading it. I'm like, oh, I know how this turns out. Um, Acts 20, 22 says, And now, compelled by the Spirit, I am going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. I only know that in every city, the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. However, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. And in Acts 21.10, a prophet prophesies to Paul, it says in 10, after there had been a number of days, a prophet named Agabus came down from Judea. Coming over to us, he took Paul's belt, tied his hands and feet, and says, the Holy Spirit says, in this way, the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem will bind the owner of this belt and will hand them over to the Gentiles. What? <laughs> Can you imagine? You're just standing there. Here comes the prophet. He says, give me your necklace. Give me your belt. Give me whatever you have. Ties you up with it. It says, the Holy Spirit says this is you. They're going to hand you over. Well, I would love to say, well, I would be like Paul and continue on. But that's a lie. <laughs> I'm super honest. I'm going back to bed. It's going to take a movement of God to, to get me moving. And actually, I hope that would not be the case. <laughs> but I do know me, so uh, I'm prone to fear. Paul knows that things will get rough. And he says in Acts 21, I am ready not only to be bound, but also to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. Paul is willing. He's not altering his plans. He will follow them until the time the Lord sees fit to change them. The Holy Spirit was not trying to stop him in his warnings, but to prepare him, and Paul embraced where he would be led. John Corson said, you cannot navigate a ship that is anchored at bay, just the same as you cannot drive a car that is parked. Having plans are good. We are not called to just take up space and sit and wait for some majestic revelation, movement of God to tell you what to do. Serve the Lord, fill a need, plug in, encourage one another, press into Jesus, live this life for the Lord. I don't know about you, but there, there are so many times in my life where I had other plans for myself. My life was gonna look different. Jesus was gonna work differently in me. I thought I had it all figured out. And the first time I learned this lesson, I remember sitting on on a Saturday night and literally planning out what life was gonna look like, where we were serving, where we were gonna serve, how we wanted to raise our kids, all the ministries we wanted to be part of, all the excitement. I'd actually just, a couple nights before, been asked to lead my first small group at Bible study. It was so exciting. And then Tuesday came, and everything changed. And had I known before that day what was coming, I would have been an anchored boat. I would have held on tightly to my way. And I would have missed out on something amazing 
but God directs our paths. He makes them bigger. He makes them better than we could ever imagine because it's his plan and it's his will for our lives. And I bet Paul would tell us the same thing, that he had other plans, but God's plans are bigger and they're better and he never fails us. There is no better place to be than in God's will. Ultimately, Paul ended up in Rome. He ended up with an incredible ministry. And although we don't know for sure, but it is believed he made it to Spain. And the best evidence I found was John Corson. He's so funny. If you haven't listened to him, he is so funny. But he said that um, Paul wrote in 2 Timothy 4, 4 through 7, 4, 7, I have kept the faith. I, I have fought the good fight. I have finished my course and I have kept the faith. And he says Spain was part of that course. So maybe he made it. Maybe he didn't. But Paul going to uncharted lands was his heart. But instead he had an audience with rulers. He penned letters. I mean, his ministry flourished. It thrived. It was bigger than his mind could ever have imagined. He ends with verse 33. The God of peace be with you all. Amen. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for today. I thank you for who you are. I pray, Lord, as we go to our groups, Father God, that you would make us iron sharpening iron, that we would just share the things you've laid on our hearts and we can grow from one another. I thank you, Lord, that um, you are active and alive and changing us. And I just, um, I'm overwhelmed by you today, Lord. I'm overwhelmed by your grace and your mercy and your spirit. I'm overwhelmed that you've called us to live this life for you. And I pray, Lord, that you enable us to do it, to live it in your will, to follow hard after you, to press in and not be anchored down in our own understanding. So again, Lord, we love you, we praise you, and we ask that you have your way with us this morning. Amen.